Kindred Church is a Christian community gathering in Reno, Nevada. We employ a dialogical teaching style, but for the sake of privacy, we remove the participants' responses from the recordings. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we'd love to have you join us in person or online. For more information about the church and for our service time, location, and virtual gathering options, visit kindredchurchreno.com. Thanks, Mike. Hi, friends. I'm really grateful to be part of this community where we're committed to having different kinds of conversations and thinking deeply about some of our own beliefs or cultural implications and, and lens that we bring to the Bible. So we're going to do that today. Hopefully you can go there with me. This might be a little different than other conversations that you've had in church before, and that's part of the whole idea. Before we dive in, I want to show two images. Just want you to take a look and and kind of internally reflect, and then we'll come back and discuss what they might mean for us. During our discussion, Dr. Toft shared two remarkable images with the group. The first was the Sistine Madonna, produced by the 16th century Italian artist, Raphael. This masterpiece portrays Mary, the mother of Jesus, cradling her child, surrounded by Pope Sixtus, Saint Barbara, and two cherub angels. The second image, known as the Creation of Man, was produced in 2022 by Natalie Leonard, who presents a beautifully realistic depiction of Mary giving birth to Jesus, supported by her husband Joseph, who receives Jesus as he emerges from the birth canal. If you'd like to see them, you can easily access both of these images for free online via a simple web search. Now, let's get back to the discussion. Okay, so maybe bearing those images in mind, or maybe contrary to those images, when you hear the word purity, which is the incarnational aspect of Jesus that we're talking about today, what comes to mind for you? Holiness, perfection. That's the synonym I have too, perfection. These are a lot of very, I would say, positive connotations. Reverent. Are there any non-positive connotations or experiences you have around the word purity? Which is where I expected the conversation to go. <laughs> yeah, judgy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> purity culture, yeah. I have a lot of those same connotations. I was a teenager in the 1990s. And so a lot of that messaging for me is conjured up when I hear the word purity. I wore a purity ring, which a lot of people did. Um, and there's a lot for me that the word purity immediately brings up sexual purity as sort of top of the list of what I think of, which is not necessarily what I was depicting in those images, but I think is connected to what I want to talk about today. Um, anything else that comes to mind with the word purity, good, bad, and neutral? Yeah. Refining purity, metals, bringing the impurities at the surface and scooping them off. Yeah. I love that all those thoughts and discussions are really in line with what was circling through my head as I thought of this word and this aspect of Jesus. Um, I would say uh, for me, purity brings up sex and snow are kind of the two things that <laughs> I think of, right? <laughs> okay. We talked, we've talked a lot about sort of sexual purity and all the messaging around that. But then we also have like pure as snow, white as snow is a very common phrase right? and this idea of unspoiled, untainted. I will say purity does not immediately conjure in my mind the idea of an unwed teenage pregnancy, which is what we saw images of, right? <laughs> That's sort of thought of as the opposite quote of purity, right? Especially if we're thinking about sexual purity. Although, of course, in this case, we're talking about a virgin birth and conception, the mystery of that. So it's not exactly the same thing. But if you just say it in those stark terms, we don't really equate pregnancy, childbirth, none of that rings around this idea of purity, at least in our culture. So also, I think conversations about purity, at least as a woman, that 
I've heard involve messaging around chasteness as a woman, which we're going to also dive into a little bit here. If we distill all of that down, I come up with a couple of ideas or concepts that I think are common to what we've been discussing as our understanding of purity in our world. One is that purity needs protecting. So it's somehow weak because purity can only be lost. It can never be gained, is at least the sense I have, right? That it is corruptible. And so you have to protect it because once something touches it, like the newly fallen snow, it is now no longer pure and you can't get that back in a sense. Um, there's also the idea that therefore purity is untouchable or set apart. So it has to be apart and far away from in order to be pure. But if we want to think about purity as part of incarnational Jesus, I want to challenge those ideas as I've been challenged thinking about this. Our sense of purity is like maybe impermanent um, because once it's gone, it's gone forever. And there's never in any of these, in my thoughts about purity, the idea that purity can overcome anything. It seems like the weaker or inferior um, thing because it can be overcome. It doesn't have much inherent, inherent power to it. And I would say that the Garden of Eden story also sort of corroborates this idea, or maybe that's where we get this idea, right? Adam and Eve start with perfection. That's the same word in my mind that I have as a synonym for purity. And then through their own selfishness, this paradise was corrupted, or maybe even they corrupted this paradise. And then we and they can never go back. There's an angel with a flaming sword guarding the way, right? So that idea of once corrupted purity is gone, it's kind of corroborated by that story. And this story also gives us that idea of woman as temptress or seductress that's sort of weaved into some of these narratives that we hear. There's also a curse that comes along with this being impure. This is the consequence of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Um, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you shall bring forth your children. We're going to get to that idea about childbirth wrapped into all of this as well. And then to Adam, he said, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust, you shall return. I'm really only going to talk about Eve's curse here, but I put all that in there just to be, you know, even. <laughs> So from this passage and this story of the Garden of Eden, purity corrupted, I think we can almost derive this idea that childbirth could be seen as corrupted or impure. It is a cursed state. And yet, hear me now, Jesus chose to enter the world through this cursed passage. So what does that mean, right? So if childbirth is now cursed and impure, and Jesus came to the world through that birth canal, that cursed passage, isn't he now corrupted? Isn't he impure because he's entered by way? of this curse? That's our idea of purity being corrupted. But let's think about the implications of that. Well, we read in every gospel about Jesus's birth, right? I'll just read from Luke 2, 6. Very simply, it says, it came about that while they, Mary and Joseph, were in Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in the manger. A very familiar refrain for us, particularly around this time of year. As a side note, this is evidence to me, clear evidence that the Bible was written by men. Because if you you ask any woman who has experienced childbirth what that story is, you're in for an earful. The details, all of in all of its glory, it's a, a very um, memorable, shall we say, or even defining moment. And you, you can't have a discussion without chiming in about my epidural and my this and my that. So the fact that it's just like, and she gave birth, period, <laughs> tells me that there was not a woman helping Luke to describe this in more detail. And also, very interestingly, 
I also was reading as I was looking um, for, for this talk today, I read some position papers or even theological statements trying to argue that the that Mary's birth of Jesus was painless, even like quoting theologians and saints and all of this. But that has to stem from the idea that pain in childbirth is the curse and that Jesus would therefore be cursed or tainted if childbirth for Mary was painful. But I think that's a wrong reading and a wrong understanding, in my opinion, of, of what purity therefore means. So again, we come back to this idea. So if childbirth is cursed, yet Jesus, God himself, entered into our world through this passageway, how, how can that be if Jesus is purity incarnate? If our idea of purity is that it can only be corrupted, then by him entering this way, wouldn't he be corrupted? Well, I don't think so because herein lies the power of Jesus' purity. Rather than his purity being corrupted or contaminated by this bloody and painful passage through the tearing of flesh and the weeping of tears, Jesus' purity overcomes the curse. He makes pure what is impure. It's not even just the opposite. It's totally different than our idea of corruptible purity. His purity is not corruptible. It is actually the restoring force that overcomes all impurity, all brokenness in this world. His purity doesn't need to be protected because it's not fragile. It's this powerful restoring force that all of creation has longed for. His purity is not untouchable. In fact, he reaches out. He draws near. He's not far away and separate. His entering into this world, Emmanuel, God with us, is coming near and drawing near to us because by touching us, he cannot be corrupted. In fact, we are made pure. We are made whole. We are restored when he touches us. I want to um, look at this verse in Romans that really emphasizes this. Two verses. This passage in Romans 5 is a lot. So I've just distilled, again, a few of the verses that I think emphasize this idea of turning the corruptibility of purity on its head. Um, so it says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. This is, of course, referring to Jesus' death and resurrection, but his birth into the world is an innate part of this. So if corruption and impurity entered through that one act in the Garden of Eden, that somehow has remained with us as our understanding or idea of purity. But we have this beautiful now story and understanding that now through Jesus and his powerful purity, that's the restoring force. So again, we can come near to him. We can be near to him and not corrupt him. So what does that mean for us? What are kind of the implications for us? Well, I think there's a couple of things I think about, and then I want to also hear what you think. A powerful implication here is that whatever we see in ourselves as impure, whatever is that thing in me that try as I might, I haven't been able to shake that habit, that way of thinking, that way of living that I see has poisoned those around me, or it has corrupted those around me because every relationship or every situation, when I, even though I try to be different, I still have this part of me that's impure and corrupts everyone else. That thing will not corrupt Jesus. That thing does not keep us separate from Jesus. Just as the story you may be familiar of, of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. And so she was considered impure and unclean and couldn't touch anyone. When she touched Jesus, she didn't make him impure. He made her pure through that. So that thing that you have, that I have, will not corrupt Jesus any more than being born through a cursed woman or cursed and painful childbirth could corrupt him. His purity overcomes and restores all things. His purity is the powerful and uncorruptible force. And that gives me a lot of hope. There's also implications of this for women, for Eve, for childbirth, for the purity narrative that we can sometimes hear. 
Um, I want to show another image that I really, really love, which was actually the motivation um, for this whole um, sermon. This is an image of Eve and Mary. So I'll let you sit with it for a second. Ooh, it makes me weepy <laughs> every time. <clears throat> Maybe this different idea of purity is our answer to misogyny, <laughs> right? So women have been labeled. Eve in particular has gotten this really bad rap and been labeled as the temptress, the seductress. So all of these um, narratives that we hear about um, modesty and don't be tempting and all of those things, which really are just an attempt to control women and give men an excuse for their lust, right? Maybe those things can be redeemed through this very different idea or narrative around purity because redemption came through cursed woman and cursed childbirth. I'm going to read um, what a couple of people have written about this image because they say it better than I can. Um, the first is from um, Scott the Painter. Uh, this is a modern artist who made a, an, a rendition of this, um, but I really like what he describes about it. He says, Eve is experiencing hope and grace from brokenness that she never thought she'd see an end to. And yet her face could also be of a knowing mom, bestowing wisdom and compassion on a new mom. In my opinion, the little that has been written about Eve has been used against her by male chauvinists. In the flannel board story of her life, she gets two paper cutouts, first biting an apple and then being cursed as the first mom to go through painful childbirth. And that's it. We don't talk about how hard it must have been to do something for the first time. No guides, no mentors, no mommy blogs. It's easy to knock down the forerunners of human living who made mistakes. It's harder to see through the one-dimensional religious narratives that every mom has the unbelievable task of raising kids the best she can. Mary takes the hand of Eve and places it on her belly to let her feel the restoring hope growing in her womb. And yet it's also a move of solidarity, accepting entrance into the great cloud of witnesses of broken-hearted mothers who've lost their kids too early. Emmanuel means God with us, and this divine gift comes to us through one of us into the womb of a blessed and humble teenage woman and honors the sacrificial and wholly involved life of being a mom. And then in an interview with the original painter, she's um, a nun. Um, she grew up in Protestant tradition though, and then joined um, Catholicism and became a nun later in life. So she had a different um, understanding or relationship with Mary than I think Catholicism has a, a very different or more um, robust relationship with Mary than Protestantism. But what she writes is, the picture is of Mary and Eve, but Jesus is there too. He is in fact at the very center. If it was just a picture of the unpregnant Mary with Eve, it might be lovely, but the presence of Jesus in that picture is what gives it real meaning. If Jesus wasn't there, I don't think people would be so drawn to it. I always think of this during Advent. Even before his birth, Christ was already among us within Mary. So many Advent texts talk about awaiting the coming of the Savior, and we even sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But he was there for nine months before that Christmas night. And now too, we live in the now but not yet of the coming of God's kingdom. I think we live in that tension now, and we can live in that tension of we still have these ideas of purity being corruptible, and that's sort of what the Adam and Eve um, fall story teaches us, and we're still living in some ways in that kind of a world. And yet, we also have this promise and this new way of understanding that the purity of Jesus is incorruptible, so we cannot corrupt him with any of our brokenness that we would bring to him. And there's a different way for us to think about purity as this very powerful restorative force, rather than as something fragile that needs protecting and that honestly is used to control women. Um, before I uh, close with a, a poem that I think sums up a lot of this, I'd love to hear any um, thoughts or impressions from you all related to this image or to some of these concepts and ideas about purity that we're discussing.
you can really see reaches of this creation story and sort of Eve as temptress has really woven into all of these narratives about purity, but it's really distracting in a sense from this other very powerful idea of purity that uh, that is really exciting for me to think about. And again, one of our values as a church is that value of all people. And so it's important that we have these conversations about ways in which our society, we as people, the church, have devalued people. And this is one of the ways in which women have been devalued or controlled. And so I love that we all want to have those conversations and are willing to go there. So thank you for that, Grace. I confess that for me, this image had a lot more power after I had experienced being pregnant and childbirth and and motherhood um, added a different aspect or dimension to thinking about birthing the son of God, which is completely wild. We, We think about, you know, powerful God, or you see these historical images of the Madonna and the Christ child that are serene and, you know, posed and beautiful. And yet there was blood and there was weeping and there was this very real human experience that we somehow kind of glance right over when we're talking about the Christmas story. You don't really hear many sermons about birth canals and and whatnot, right? But that's such a beautiful choice that God made to come into the world this way. He could have just appeared, just dropped onto the planet, showed up, didn't matter where he came from, but to choose to come and enter by way of that thing which had been cursed and to really honor a mother. For me, that's very beautiful and powerful and draws me closer to thinking of God, God with us. Yeah, we sterilize this story. I think that's part of what we're saying is we we remove it from our own experiences as humans. And yet I think that creates a distance that we don't need. There's, It's just very beautiful that this is how Jesus entered the world to me. Our idea of purity as perfection and those things, that's not wrong or bad. It's its good, beautiful snow. That's good. And being purified by Jesus is good. It's not that I am judged or I, I am too bad to be cleansed, purified, close to Jesus. That's really what it is. It's more an invitation to come and, and let me free you of the burden of those things and let me make it good and make it pure and make it healthy. Um, and that's a promise. He can do that for childbirth as the most cursed thing. And he can do that for any aspect of us. And that is a really beautiful truth. Thank you for that, Brandon. Any other thoughts, ideas? I really appreciate everyone jumping in with me. I want to read a poem that I think ties a lot of these aspects together. Of course, as a woman, I'm thinking about it from my perspective. So there's a lot of that written in here, but I really like this way of thinking about the idea of purity, but also about the birth of Jesus. So sometimes I wonder, Sometimes I wonder if Mary breastfed Jesus, if she cried out when he bit her, or if she sobbed when he would not latch. And sometimes I wonder if this is all too vulgar to ask in a church full of men without milk stains on their shirts or coconut oil on their breasts, preaching from pulpits off limits to the mother of God. But then I think of feeding Jesus, birthing Jesus, the expulsion of blood and the smell of sweat, the salt of a mother's tears onto the soft head of the salt of the earth, feeling lonely and tired, hungry, annoyed, overwhelmed, loving. And I think if the vulgarity of birth is not honestly preached by men who carry power, but not burden, who carry privilege, but not labor, who carry authority, but not submission, then it should not be preached at all because the real scandal of the birth of God lies in the cracked nipples of a 14-year-old and not in the sermon of ministers who say women are too delicate to lead. That one gets me too. (laughs) So I hope that this has given a couple of different ideas of how we can think about this beautiful, powerful aspect of Jesus and purity and what that means for us as people, as followers of Jesus, as women, as those who love women, um, and how we can incorporate that into our church here at Kindred. 
We truly hope the message resonated with you today. Kindred Church holds a special place in our hearts, and your support makes a significant impact. If you're moved to contribute to our mission, visit kindredchurchreno.com to donate. For any personal notes or questions, send us a message at kindredchurchreno at gmail.com. Thank you for being a part of Kindred.